Welcome to the Working Capital Real Estate Podcast. My name is Jesse Bergali, and on this show, we discuss all things real estate with investors and experts in a variety of industries that impact real estate. Whether you're looking at your first investment or raising your first fund, join me and let's build that portfolio one square foot at a time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Working Capital, the real estate podcast. We have another Just Ask Jesse uh, this week. And for those that don't know, that's uh, anybody that is interested in getting a real estate question, commercial real estate question uh, answered, you can reach out to me either on Instagram or you can directly email me. Uh, For emails, you can just type in jesse at workingcapitalpodcast.com or check me out on Instagram. You can direct message me there, jesse, J-E-S-S-E, Fregali, F-R-A-G-A-L-E. So either or. So this week I was asked a question that was related to cap rates and it was talking about when to use a cap rate or scenarios that a cap rate isn't useful. And the way I framed that question was I thought what I'd look at is the limitations of the cap rate. Because oftentimes, you know, in real estate, we see the cap rate all over the place. And to recap, no pun intended, uh, in terms of the calculation, that's net operating income divided by the value or purchase price. And that'll give you a percentage. So for instance, $100,000 divided by 1 million. So 100,000 in NOI divided by 1 million, say that's the purchase price, that would equal 10%. And that would be a 10% cap rate. Now, in terms of understanding when or when not to use it, I thought I'd go over four limitations that we have when using cap rate to keep in mind, you know, ultimately the positive aspect of the cap rate is it's a very quick way to figure out what the yield is on a property, what the percentage return is on a property compared to another property. And the best time to use them is when you're comparing two very similar assets. And in that case, you can do a quick test uh, and really what it will allow you to do is figure out if further analysis is required. Now, in terms of the limitations of the cap rate or just some things to keep in mind, number one, I think it's important to understand that it does not include debt, it doesn't include the mortgage. So firms or individuals with different capital structures, that is that they have different leverage or they're using different type of financing at different rates, it's really difficult to compare those two in general, but when you're using the cap rate, it's silent about those two things. So how you finance a deal is silent. So you got to keep that in mind because when you're looking at the property's gross income minus expenses, that will include everything, the gross expenses, but not the mortgage payments themselves. So as we know in commercial real estate and residential real estate, Uh, Investors put debt on commercial property uh, during the whole period. So the fact that the cap rate doesn't include debt financing will limit its usefulness when you're looking at two deals or multiple deals that are leveraged differently. Now, in terms of number two, the variations in calculation and the time period that's used. So what I mean by that is investors, brokers, sellers will all use different metrics or different time periods when calculating the net operating income. Not all the time, I shouldn't say always, but oftentimes. So for instance, what we call the T12 or the trailing 12 months, some investors might use the past 12 months of net operating income to derive the cap rate. Uh, It's probably what I would do. It's probably what most investors do. Now, sellers or brokers, when you see the offering memorandum, you might have the potential 
NOI. So they're using a figure that's not necessarily what is the actuality, but maybe what the market rents are in uh, ideal vacancy and maybe no vacancy at all. So keep that in mind when you're taking a look at cap rates and whether they're coming from investors or they're coming from people trying to sell the asset. Now, there's also the different schools of thought whether items like what we call replacement reserves, uh, whether they should be included or not in the calculation. And I use replacement reserves as just an example. Uh, but for those that don't know, a replacement reserve is when you put money aside monthly or annually for items that are large ticket items like the roof, boiler, window replacements. And we know those items are expensive and they're a large amount of money, but it usually happens in one year. And in order to smooth that over, we put a little bit aside every year. Now that little bit we put aside brings in the debate of whether replacement reserves should be calculated as part of expenses for the cap rate or they shouldn't. Now, if you can think about that, if they aren't calculated, so what we say is replacement reserves are below the line, below the NOI line, that would have a big effect on the percentage cap rate that we derive, right? Because we're not putting it into the gross operating expenses. Conversely, if you put them above the line and you include them, that's going to have another hit on what that yield looks like. So ultimately, these variations do matter uh, when you're trying to derive the cap rate. And it's something that you just need to pay attention of when you are using it. Now, the other one I like is that when you're doing value add properties, the cap rate can be misleading. Uh, and that's why they're so useful when comparing like and kind assets. You know, when you have two stabilized assets that can be uh, compared fairly easy, uh, that's the time you would use a cap rate. Alternatively, value add properties that off, oftentimes have significant vacancy reduces the effectiveness of the cap rate. For example, a property that has you know great fundamentals but is poorly managed may have a 30% vacancy in a market that you know the average vacancy based on your research is 5%. So immediately this vacancy will drastically and artificially reduce the cap rate because of the lower NOI. And it's really easy to think about that because you could have cap rates that really don't make sense in a market, 1%, 2%, because a building is poorly managed and maybe has much more vacancy than it really should or or that it would compare to the market. So that's another thing that you definitely want to look at when using cap rates. On the other end, you want to look at properties, like I said earlier, that are similar similar in age, similar in area, but also similar in that they're representing what the market is uh, in a particular area. So in this example, that'd be vacancy rates. The last one I'll mention that I find really doesn't get mentioned that often uh, is that they ignore the lease expiry risk. And perhaps it's not mentioned as much because it may affect commercial deals a little bit more, but you could easily see it in an apartment deal. Uh, in an apartment deal, leases are typically one year in length or month to month. So in that case, we don't really see the lease expiry profile as, as having a huge issue. On the other hand, if you look at office, industrial, and retail deals, the leases can be five years, 10 years, 15 years, in some cases, 20 years. So the cap rate does not illustrate the risk of key tenants coming up to expiry. 
the, this is a major problem as there may be substantial vacancy losses and expenditures required for lease up. So for instance, if you have a AAA tenant that has a 20 year lease, that might have the exact same cap rate as if you had a not so great tenant with a three year lease. And I remember this um, a couple of years ago when WeWork was, uh, was IPOing, can't believe that. I think it's been a couple of years now. Uh, we would see in our area, the cap rates change depending on, depending on if WeWork was in the building. So they would capitalize instead of doing the NOI divided by the value of the building in order to figure out the value of the building, it's a little algebra, you have to capitalize the NOI. So you take the net operating income and you divide into that the cap rate. So what they would do is they would use a different cap rate, a higher cap rate to make up for the fact that they saw WeWork as potentially a riskier tenant. So definitely you want to look at the leases and go into depth as to the quality of the tenants, but also the length of the leases. So those are four things that you should look at when using cap rates and understand their limitation. At the end of the day, the cap rate for me is a quick test of whether you should be doing a further inquiry. Uh, and it's something that 100%, if you're comparing very, very similar buildings, it's a good way to have a high level overview of whether those buildings, uh, whether you prefer one or the other. But obviously more analysis is required for any deal that you look at. Cap rate is just one tool. So hopefully that answers that question. Uh, just shows a little bit of the limitation on the cap rate end. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, like I said, jesse at workingcapitalpodcast.com or just reach out to me directly on Instagram. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to Working Capital, the real estate podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Fergali. If you like the episode, head on to iTunes and leave us a five-star review and share on social media. It really helps us out. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram, Jesse Fergali, F-R-A-G-A-L-E. Have a good one. Take care.